your alternative to ordinary radio. Welcome to another edition of the Trademark Productions SEO Web Talk Radio Show. Hi, I am Dwight Zeringer, owner and operator of Trademark Productions, a small digital boutique agency located in the outskirts of beautiful Detroit, Michigan. We've been involved in online marketing and web development since 1993. We figured we'd talk with a couple different industry experts on a regular basis just to keep everybody up on what's happening in the world of web development, online marketing, and optimization. We hope you enjoy our show, and we welcome your comments. So I want to thank everybody for joining another edition of the Trademark Productions Web Talk Radio Show. I'm Dwight Seringer with Trademark Productions, and today on our line we have Greg Bozer. And this gentleman is a legend in the online marketing community, uh, more specifically SEO, I would say, more of a, a bigger link builder and more of a, well, Greg, I guess tell us, tell us a little bit more about what we should be calling you. Called a lot of things. I don't know. Yeah, let's not talk about all the bad ones. But what do you really consider yourself? I mean, you're more of an SEO, or are you more of an op- yeah. um. That's funny that you say that. You bring that up because it's something that uh, we do a lot more than SEO. Um, I consider myself um, a web marketer uh, whose primary focus is search, but that encompasses any and anything that has to do with getting people to type something into a little white box. And so there's a lot to go over into things like uh, Twitter and Facebook and uh, what we refer to as social media, but as it applies to how those signals are being factored in the search. So, sure. Um, but we do, I do a lot of affiliate marketing stuff, and you know, we do a little more than just SEO, but clearly since I'm one of the old guys that uh, SEO is typically organic SEO is what I'm most known for. Sure, sure. Well, Greg runs Three Dog Media, and it provides uh, basically uh, a fresh new look at Web 2.0 in any vertical. It's uh, very graspy of an SEO opportunity. They specialize more in SEO, SMM, reputation management, and WordPress development, so he's a big WordPress guy. He has a lot of knowledge and a lot of history in our industry, um, and and everybody seems to know him, and there's a a lot of great things we wanted to talk to you about today. So thanks for joining us and uh, taking time out of your Friday afternoon. Not a problem. So the first you first kind of found your way in the business by selling fire protection services. How did this all tie into the SEO rock star you are today? <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, it was one of those things where um, sitting around 94, 95 when the internet was just getting started and the whole AOL thing and thinking that, you know, this is going to be a valuable tool at some point. And then when I was involved in that business, uh, it just... I thought about it and said, you know, if we had a website, we could probably get more sales, basically. And built it, and nobody came. And, um, that was really kind of how I stumbled into the SEO thing. I spent this money on doing this and kind of thought, you know, people are just going to show up and find me and everything's going to be great. And realized that really wasn't how it worked, and I just kind of stumbled into it. Um, and then search became the primary way that initial site got found. And once that started, we started getting leads from really all over the world. And I, I moved to where I was more brokering deals for the company, and I wanted to actually doing physical work. Um, and then it was kind of at that point that I went, wow, this internet thing might be pretty cool, and I might want to figure out how to do this, you know, full-time as, as a career. So kind of stumbled into it. 
Now, now from the fire protection, when did you actually kind of determine that this is what you wanted to do full time? About what year was that? Uh, I was, you know, I started wanting to make a living on the web in '95. Started making a little money, and I'd say by, you know, '97, '98, it was a real job. By 2000, it was a really good job, kind of thing. Okay, and you've had some really interesting clients that I do want to talk about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to say the least, but you know, I called you an SEO rock star, and so are you still co-hosting that show on Webmaster Radio FM? Uh, we're not, and you know, the funny thing about that title, that nickname, that I, it's interesting is that it's, people don't get the whole tongue-in-cheek thing. I used to play, I moved to Southern California when I was 19 years old, I moved there to play in rock bands, and I, was, I did the whole Hollywood Sunset Strip thing. Um, so my original career goal was to be a rock star. So at one point, you did actually have uh, longer hair. I, I did have <laughs> hair, and it was long, and occasionally had hairspray in it, and the whole big hair 80s thing. Um, so the ironic twist of all that is, of course, that didn't work out, and I ended up being an internet geek, which is probably about 180 degrees far away from a rock star could be. So. Yeah, but, you know, Greg, that's a lot cooler because think about where, like, you know, Mick Mars and Nikki Six and all of those guys. I mean, what about the guys from Whitesnake? I mean, where are they now? Who cares? I actually saw Whitesnake not too long ago. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Hey, he looks a little weathered, but uh, he great. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't be better off wearing that. Uh, but I was determined when I got in this business and the whole conference thing started that I wanted to pretend I was a rock star and kind of live in a microcosm world that, that lifestyle. So that's where that whole thing came from. Sure. Now, now for you said you were actually starting to do a little bit more of conferences. Um, what were some of the first ones you you started with? Um, are you from back in the SES days, or are you a, a true hardcore PubCon kind of guy? Um, it started. The very first one was SES in uh, 1999 in New York. Wow. And. Uh, Danny Sullivan put it on. So Danny was one of the, when I first got into the business, before there really was a business, there was about 20 of us, I think, that sat around. I used to actually stalk Danny. So when I found out, you know, I read his webmaster's guide, the search engine, which ultimately became Search Engine Watch. But at the time, he was a reporter for the Orange County Register. Yeah. And it was kind of a white paper he wrote. And it was really the first thing I found that explained how a search engine worked, and that's what got me started. Then he started Search Engine Watch and had a subscription thing where you had the mail and the and your fax and your credit card. And so I was one of his early subscribers. Uh, and it just kind of rolled from there. And, and we had a discussion list, an email discussion list, which don't really exist anymore, but it um, came out like twice a week and it was called iSearch. Wow. And uh, that's where Marshall Simmons, Doug Johnson, a lot of us, we all hung out and got to know each other. And that's kind of the pool that Danny picked from when he started the SES shows. Yeah, yeah, that's very so cool. that's kind of how we got into the speaking thing. And, you know, the first one, there was, I don't know, 150 people there. Hmm. And so it, it grew with that. And um, so I'm a very, you know, I'm, I'm a Danny Sullivan loyalist. So, so you went ahead and kind of moved away when they got really corporate, where when he sold, and they got really corporate, and you could actually buy uh, your sponsor no, I, your own sessions? I, I do... I stay doing SES. I still occasionally do an SES. Um, I'm not as a, much of a regular anymore, primarily just for... It was kind of weird when they split, you know, a lot of the speakers. I mean, I jump in front of a thing for Danny, so... 
uh, no idea SMX now, which is his new thing, um, and I did SES all the time to the time that he ran it. Hubcom came a little later. Um, I was already doing stuff with Danny and uh, stories, you know, from afar, been a, kind of a fan of Brett. He was one of the old, early famous, we talked about. <laughs> you know, he was one of the pioneer guys in the SES day, so uh, around 2000, 2001, I became a moderator at Webmaster World, and, uh, before there ever was a PubCon, and ended up becoming an admin there, and then um, the first PubCon was actually in a pub, and we did one in Irvine called the BarCon, and it just kind of grew out of there, so kind of two separate tracks, but, you know, been a diehard speaker at both, pretty much since they've been at well, that's, that's pretty cool, and I'll, I'll make sure I'll definitely bring some of that stuff up to both Danny and to Brett. And uh, we give our condolences to Brett, recently lost his father. I, I believe the funeral actually is today as well. Um, but uh, mo moving on here, we talked about SEO Rockstars. Now, you have done a show on Webmaster Radio FM. Are you still a part of that anymore? Uh, I'm not. You know, Darren's still a great friend of mine. known him forever. Um, Todd and I at the time. And it's funny because we still to this day get people come up and say, hey, Hard to do the show anymore. Um, right now, it's parents over, and it's kind of an interview based. It's a little different format. Um, at the time, Todd's schedule and my schedule, you know, we traveled a lot. Um, and to be quite honest, it really wasn't a great paying gig <laughs> anyway. Sure. You know, client work and that kind of stuff always took precedent. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was hard to do a regular thing. Um, but. Very good chance in the very near future we're going to come back with something a little similar, but more of a you know webinar style thing uh, that we're going to be doing. So well, that'd be good. I'd, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear you back on there again. Any memorable shows or people that you used to talk to that you really had a good time with? Uh, they were all great. I mean, you know, we did a couple shows with Matt Cutts on. It was it was pretty fun. Are those still in the archive? They are. There's a good one where, you know, we were talking about uh, sandbox stuff. Oh. You know, and, and how we did a lot of testing to show that it existed and how it worked. And it had to do with a site that Todd owned called linkcondom.com. <laughs> um, you know, that, there was a lot of fun there. Um, but one of the problems with the show was it got so popular that, you know, the Google team listened to it. So you have, a, you have this issue where you want to provide really good insight and really help people, but at the same time, you don't want to kill something that works well. And that's another problem that we ran into is that, you know, stuff I talk about would all of a sudden not work anymore. Yeah, that is... Uh... Because once we were on iTunes, you know, and it was, I think still to this day, it's uh, Webmaster Radio's most downloaded show ever. So the audience reach got pretty large in terms of the the podcast and the downloads and it just became difficult to you know do that in a in a way that provided value to everybody uh, without getting all my friends mad at me yeah sure that, that almost takes me back to PubCon I think it was in 2006 or 2007 but the link building session actually happened in SES over in, uh, in, in California um, but I think uh, let's see probably Aaron was speaking um, 
uh, Boykin was speaking, and I think it was uh, John Lessonau, my ex-partner, and then also Ran. And I think it was something where Matt was in the room, so we definitely had the 500-pound elephant in the room. But it was the whole thing of where the, the paid linking was 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 definitely a big issue now. It's been open, discussed, and nobody wanted to really say much at the sessions at all. In fact, Boykin got up there and didn't say anything at all and says, uh, be careful, don't buy links. Well, yeah, he learned the hard way about that. Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. He definitely did. <laughs> yeah, so let's go a little bit, talk about Web Gorilla, your company. Um, huh? You've developed a lot of search strategies from some very well-known brands. And uh, what's it been like, uh, you know, being a part of the corporate world? What is all that alike from some of the other stuff that you've done? Obviously, it pays uh, very well. Uh, it's kind of a, so Web Gorilla is a company that doesn't actually exist anymore. We, um officially kind of changed over to Three Dog Media and that was probably because the misspelling of the company name had a PR stick so I didn't know it. Long story, but um, type in traffic is valuable and I wanted to some people could spell. So, uh, but over the years, so I, I do, it's kind of weird because I, I do a wide range of stuff. Um, and the corporate stuff is enjoyable at the same time very painful a lot of times. Sure. Um, typically because you know, they like to listen, but they don't always like to do. And, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, I, I did a lot of that kind of stuff. And I, I subcontracted to a lot of large agencies where I was kind of like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain doing all the strategy, and then they would, I'd charge them a ton of money, and then they'd mark it up and go out and pretend like they were a genius. And, uh, but the whole machine and how it came, how long it takes and all that kind of stuff was really painful. So now, you know, I'm, I'm pretty picky about those kind of jobs because, you know, if I'm not, not that I don't mind getting paid for doing nothing, but it's, it's kind of boring. And, so I prefer, you know, I, companies like that have to spend some time convincing me that, that they're really with And when that happens, it's really kind of cool because you get to go in like I do some affiliate work with companies, but I do it on kind of the corporate level where I get to work with their sites and do performance-based stuff from the, the top level down. And that's really cool because you have a lot of resources. And when you can walk into a company with, you know, both loads of money and, and really smart people and everybody's going to roll up their sleeves and get busy, it's, it's a pretty rewarding thing. But it just doesn't happen as often as I like. And I, I just don't do the hand-holding thing. Sure, and that also becomes very, uh, it just becomes very frustrating, and it becomes almost um, uh, against the grain. It's not as productive anymore. Yeah, and it's just, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't get, the nice thing about being a consultant is I don't, I tell it how it is, and I don't get paid to be a Well, just for all our listeners that do not want to utilize our agency, Greg Bozer is available for hire for very, very select um, different types of individuals and corporations that are out there, and it's 3dogmedia.com, and you can find out all his contact information on there. Greg, is there anything you miss about the old days of uh, optimization, and do you think the internet evolves as much uh, th that it's becoming better for search? Uh, I miss... Besides doing all the black hat stuff and being able to reap huge rewards off of all those things. Well, yeah, so clearly, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. We, a lot of us old-timers, we still partially responsible for Google getting better because sure. we, we did exploit the, the holes and, and, and you know what, if we didn't, we'd still look like Altavista 2000. I mean, <laughs> they need the push. You know, the thing is, what people don't get a lot is the, the, 
engineers really have big egos. You know, a lot of stuff that they call spam now is really just because their egos are bruised that their great idea wasn't so great. And um, so, you know, I miss that, obviously, being able to exploit something for large volumes of money, and it, it takes a lot longer now. Um, but at the same time, it is pretty cool to see where it's all going and all the different signals and how human interaction is impacting search, uh, whether we like it or not. But I, I do miss the old on-page days, because that was, like, Sure. Well, there's always talk about black hat SEOs versus white hat white hat SEOs. Um, what's your feeling really on this, and if it's always going to be a black and white thing or the gray areas, and that most SEOs agree upon? All uh, right. So my, my personal take is, you know, the term white hat SEO is a code name for an SEO with no game. With no game? Yeah. I mean that's the thing. And that's, the problem with it is, is that um, I mean I think that all SEOs should engage in regular R and D testing and pushing the envelope. Now, what people misinterpret a lot is that there's people out there that convince the world that those of us that do that kind of stuff are out there doing that on the behalf of a client, and the client's unaware, and we're risking this. And that's just so far from the truth. I mean, my my consulting client base is 99 percent super squeaky clean stuff. Um, but the things that I've learned doing the aggressive stuff on my own, with my own side and all that kind of stuff, makes me such a better consultant. Sure, because you're knowing what's working, what's not working. I'm not, I'm not regurgitating what Rand wrote on SEO mods, right? Which a lot of new young people do, and they don't have any experience. So when that company that has, you know, 20 different sites and hundreds of thousands of pages that are dynamically generated and all that kind of stuff, and we have to do all these redirections. I know how Google's going to react to that, because I have tested all, I've pushed that. I can more accurately explain to the client what's probably going to happen. Um, and that's really missing in today's the, the use of our business. Uh, you know, they bought into this follow Google, Google Webmaster guidelines, and you know, they lie about that. But it's, it's, it's not... They're not completely up front, and there's a lot of stuff that gets put out publicly that just isn't true, um, or it's greatly distorted. So unless you're out there pushing the envelope on your own, um, you'll never know that. You just can't be as effective as you should be for a client. I have some of my own opinions, and a lot of them do mimic yours. But in regards to like Google Webmaster Central and some of the recommendations, uh, maybe isolate and, and and point one out to our to our listeners of that you think is pretty much not true at all. Mm. One that's not well. I can give you examples and kind of stuff that they pushed out there in the past. I mean, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the myths have to do with uh, Google's ability to auto detect stuff. As an example, you know, when, when Matt Touch first got on his first thing, he went out pushing with this, this awesome cloaking detector thing that would automatically catch cloaking. And, and the idea, and you know, a lot of people back in that time were pushing this theory is that basically you go out and run a block of proxy IP from AOL and you crawl through there because nobody's going to block that. And right. And a thing between what Google Watch found and what, um, which in theory works, it's just not a scalable thing. And it's so they were constantly out convincing people that this was on the way and that Google is this brilliant tool that can do all this on the fly. And that's not really the case. I mean, it fetches your pages and dumps them in a hopper. And they do have tools like that that they dispatch off the spam reports manually. 
But the idea that, you know, things like hidden tax and all that kind of stuff, 99% of that, when you get in trouble for it, is because a competitor ratted you out. It's not because the magnificent algorithm just found it as it was crawling the web. I agree on that 100%. Well, I'm in agreement with you on that. The tough thing is, basically what I've always said is that 99% of Google's quality is handled not by the algorithm, but by fear, right? So Sure. By keeping, you know, if every mom and pop on the web decided to completely ignore Webmaster Guideline, we could bring Google to its knees in a heartbeat because um, that's really the core mechanism that keeps them squeaky clean. It's not the, how good the engine is, but how scared everybody is to getting in trouble. Sure. Well, even going back to the whole paid links debate and uh, them introducing the, the opportunity for others to out a competitor or someone that may be buying links, that's a major flaw of their algorithm that still is not fixed. Well, they certainly painted themselves into a corner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they created the, the link marketplace and, and put the value on that. And, um, you know, the latest one was the whole... Uh, Changing the do follow thing, saying they did it a year ago, but no follow. That wasn't really accurate. Yeah, make a lot of sense. Um, so they do that kind of stuff all the time. So the point being, as a consultant, you know, when they come out and say stuff like that, I know if it's true or not because I test that stuff all the time. Hmm. What'll happen if you know? How long does it take Google to respond to a 301? And you know that kind of stuff. And a lot of consultants don't. So their opinion is based on what people just told them publicly. Back in October at SMX, you were on a panel with Danny and Vanessa Fox, Bruce Clay, Aaron Wall, among others, and there were a number of questions that were asked, but one of the things that was discussed in depth was was caffeine. Um, You were pretty much on the point that there should be some more significant changes, not in the top three, but in the top one through four. Uh, so now that it's being released, what are your thoughts on this? What kind of changes are being seen, and how do you think it's good for search? Um, is it, well, whether it's good for search depends on whether my stuff goes up or down. <laughs> Me too. Just how most people look at it. Um, I think that uh, it's really weird because to me it really kind of looks like, I'm not even 100% sure where they are in the world. There's a time period where it seems like it just kind of stalled. Um, but that's the kind of thing, it, it does look like there's the new back end gives them a better ability to evaluate the quality of a link. So, you know, we've seen some stuff with the sites of Swiffer sites that have high volume, lesser quality kind of stuff, which typically with an older site is a great formula. Um, so, I've seen some stuff there. It's a little faster. I, I don't know that it's completely dialed in yet, so I'm not real sure, but pretty minimal, but there's definitely some shakeups. I mean, you know, we saw a couple of spaces where we had stuff in top four that's now sitting at 12. And, you know, so now once it sits in and it's stable and it stays that way for a while and we're confident that that's what it's going to be, then we can take the time to kind of dissect why those sites replaced us and what factors are different. Um, and, but the thing is, it's probably stuff that's not, you know, if you listen to what they say, it's not really an algorithm thing, it's just an efficiency and a, a, a crawling thing. So, if they can get content quicker and faster and process it, then the, the signals may be the same, but the data that the signals are being applied against is different. So I think that's where the biggest, the biggest thing is going to be. So. What would be a, 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 a quick overview of what you think, uh, in, in general, a lot of people are going to be seeing over the next 
let's say three to six months as far as changes to Google and the how, how that's going to be affecting where their sites could be possibly showing up? Yeah, the, the biggest one, obviously, is, is the real-time search thing. and um, They're doing kind of a poor job of integrating it as far as a tool for you to look at and use. I think the little slider thing is pretty terrible. Uh, yeah, the usability on that's not very good. Yeah, it, it's not. You know, Google's got where they just throw crap out and see, and it never, never quite works. But um, really, the big picture thing, if you guys remember, you know, back in uh, 2001, 2002, that, you know, they had the Fresh Bot. Yeah. And basically, the Fresh Bot was kind of a separate crawler that, that interjected content in the search results that wasn't being scrutinized by all the data points that the whole database was. So it's kind of like on page factors. It would shoot in real quick. And because it was fresh and new, and then it would fall out, and then in 30 days when the database, all the everything was recalculated, it'd find its real position amongst the rest of the content. But I don't think that system was really that scalable for them, and now with Twitter and all these real-time signals, you're going to see that, but on a, a much bigger scale. And we've already seen, you know, doing testing with distributing tweets and retweets and that kind of stuff and have how it impacts a blog post and how quickly Google can make a post shoot to the top based on the signals it's finding from Twitter. From multiple multiple bounce backs. This, this was before they had the duel, so this is really they're basically crawling from the front end and they're they're looking at occurrences and retweets. So now the stuff that they're they're gonna apply authority and, and uh, trust to people on Twitter the same way they apply it to websites. Nice. Maybe we can pass some uh, some PR from those as well. Well, so the thing, you know, and, and so that's the interesting thing where it spills over into the social media. Um, I think one of the things that they'll be looking at, and we said this, but uh, metrics like, you know, followers to follow ratio, right? Because if you look on Twitter, you, know, you see people, they have 10,000 followers, but they're following 12,000. So those are just all auto refollows because I followed you, you followed me, kind of thing. Right, right. There's real prominent people um, on the web that have 20, 30, you know, people like Brian Clark, those guys, they have 30, 40,000 followers, yet they follow 500 people maybe. Right. Right? And so that, that ratio, that signal, is a pretty good indication to me that that person's pretty credible. So retweets and, and links sent out by people like that are probably going to have more weight in the same way that, you know, Yahoo's more credible than your average website, so a link on that counts for more than it does somewhere else. So maybe a good strategy would be on this here, Greg, and I'm just going to throw this out in the wall and see if it sticks, would be to buy a bunch of auto-following, hire a service to gain you useless Twitter followers, and then go back through and clean out your Twitter account to make it look like you're only following a select few, so that your ratio well, of... there's actually some tools around that do basically that. They basically follow and then... Um, after a time period, they go and unfollow. So over time, you trim. You, hopefully, the people who followed you don't notice, and you trim and, and create that ratio. You know, so I think you're going to see a ton of that kind of stuff going on in Twitter. Um, Very you know, nice. Very nice. A huge thing. But I thought the other thing that nobody's really talking about. I think that um, that Twitter's going to have a huge impact. Is that it dramatically messes up the whole anchor text thing. Yeah. So as Twitter starts replacing the blogosphere as the primary distribution channel for links to new content, those links, 99% of them have no descriptive anchor text and they're running through a 301. 
So does that mean that the links that are out on the web that anchor text have more value, or does it mean they're going to look more on on-page stuff because anchor text as a whole, or the signal coming from the source is non-existent? Um, that could be... That that can be very messy as well because what about a lot of people scraping and reposting all of this? Well, the thing too is this is at the same time when, um, you know, we used to do a lot of shenanigans uh, with reaction. And there, there was quite a few holes in the way Google handled it. They've been getting better at it. So on one hand, they're, they're kind of clamping down, you know, how 301s work and how they credit them. And at the same time, they have a Well, well, staying on top of Google, I had read and heard from different people that you have a hard time with Google's dominance, or you at one time did. Um, is this true? Well, you know, purely from a, a selfish standpoint, it's not, you know, we're best off as an industry having three equal players with a third market share each. Um, which you know, we don't I, any longer. Which is kind of a pipe dream now. Fantasy, and I, I get that, but um, back in the day, we had Excite, AltaVista, uh, Yahoo was more in the directory at the time, but Inkney, the Powered MSN, and Google, you know, your stuff is really spread out about these four or five players. So if you took a tank and won, it didn't kill your business. So, you know, I was the first consultant Microsoft hired when they wanted to talk about building search engines many years ago. And I've been a fan and, you know, supporting them. I think they've done a terrible job for the first couple of iterations of it. But supporting them because I want them to be successful because it's better for all of us. Yeah. So that Google doesn't uh, control the world and, and control my world. Uh, and you're seeing now that more and more people are realizing, wow, you know, what some of the stuff they do, they're beyond that touchy-feely, save the world, let's be not evil thing, you know. Well, yeah, because now they're getting into, I mean, mobile, mobile search. we got an OS system that's going to be coming out, and now we've got Google Buzz. And, well, they announced yesterday, and then uh, Norway, and then start offering SEO consulting. Well, that was, a, that was a whole farce that I had, had read this morning. Yeah, so, which is kind of, you know, granted, so people jumped on that and kind of blew it out of proportion. It's going to be site clinic stuff, kind of like what, you know, Matt's been doing at conferences for a while, but... It is the beginning of it, you know, at what point, so now you're an AdWords customer and, and you get help that others won't, you know what I mean? It, it can create a, it's a slippery slope. You know, speaking of that there too, but if you are utilizing more and more Google tools, let's say AdWords as an, as an, as an example, and you're running a campaign and you're spending, say, $40,000 a month versus another customer that's spending... Um, $2,000 a month, maybe in a more geo-specific market. Have you found with different customers and doing testing that you actually get a better response for the organic side rankings of a said site that you're doing advertising for? Uh, no, not directly, but, you know, here's the thing. It's like, it's, as Google's going, but in the earlier days of Google, if, if you were spending money, um, you could get on the phone with your ad rep and they would walk across the hallway there and talk to people in it. And you can get stuff looked at quicker. Um, 
they, they directly rank yeah, I, I can't say that I've actually seen that specific thing, but um, clearly it's in their interest. And, and the whole thing with this consulting, I think the angle that they're looking at is statistically, they make more money with the ads. You, you spend more money as an advertiser if you also rank organically. As far as an ROI, because you have more money coming in and going out, and when cash flow is good, people tend to not notice waste as much. Uh, whereas if you're relying on pay-per-click only, then, you know, trying to make your margin and turn a profit is, is difficult. But when you have organic listings kind of subsidizing your pay-per-click, um, then you're typically willing to spend more money. So it's in their interest to have to help AdWords, especially big spending AdWords, can be ranked better. And it creates better credibility, you know, the click-through rates improve on, on both sides because when people see company organic and it matches who they're seeing in the ads, it creates a level of trust with the user that's pretty cool and, and you get better conversions all around. Sure, sure. Um, we normally ask a lot of our guests, because we know that a lot of the people that we are speaking with yield a high rate of an hourly rate in, in, in large blocks of, of hours. And uh, we always ask them to give away 10 minutes of some free advice or a couple big hot tips that will help them out in a couple different ways. Um, think about that for a moment. And uh, you're going to be speaking at a couple different conferences coming up in the near future. Where are you going to be at? Uh, next up would be SMX West in a couple of weeks uh, in Santa Clara. After that, I'll be in Sydney, Australia, I believe, uh, in April. Uh, so I don't know if you're listening to Australia, but that's a really fun show. What's going to be at? Uh, what's is that SMX in it's Australia? SMX, yeah. Uh, I did it last year for the first time. Had a great time. Uh, Todd and I, Todd Friesen, Tom, and he's going to go with me this year. Um, we're going to do kind of a reunion rock star fight clinic thing. Oh. So, um, yeah. It should be a lot of fun. The guys down there are great. And then after that, I'm going to be at Search and Social putting on a, a very small thing in Florida. Uh, and I'll be there as well. Excellent. And then SMX West, I mean, advanced, and then, I don't know, after that. Well, again, we're talking with Greg Bozer, uh, formerly of Web Gorilla, now of Three Dog Media, pretty much the same company, just a name change. But uh, you can find him over at threedogmedia.com. That's the letter three, or the number three, actually, threedogmedia.com. So why don't you go ahead and uh, think about a tip that you could offer uh, a lot of our listeners out there, maybe something that's a little bit lesser known, uh, maybe one in your arsenal that you are a little bit more comfortable giving away that could help people out in a lot of ways. Um, I, our big focus right now is, you know, I've never been a big fan of local search just because that's not been the area that I competed in. Um, we've always preferred clients that had global kind of terms that generated kind of traffic. Uh, but we're spending a lot of time now doing global things at the local level. And by that I mean Google is spending, is returning a lot more local box kind of stuff with broad generic terms that don't have uh, geo-qualifiers tied to them. Terms that in the past um, were the money term that you get ranked for that and you'd show up everywhere. Uh, so, for, you know, if you're doing lead gen and stuff, there's, there's a lot of opportunity right now by building localized sites and getting them listed in there. 
Okay. So, you know, like we have a, a tool that we're building right now that's a crawler that would just take millions of keywords and identify everyone that generates local and, and universal search. So we can pinpoint the areas of opportunity, um, and that goes for, you know, organic stuff as well. Universal search can be a killer, for, you know, people love to click on those videos, so if you have a batch of keywords and you're looking to find a space to compete, sometimes you don't want to be where those videos are at. Um, so, you know, paying attention to how that's evolving and what kind of phrases Google is deciding should show local stuff, I think is real important. Um, especially if you're doing like lead gen or those kind of, that kind of stuff. Excellent, excellent. That's a great tip. Um, last but not least, still let's go a little bit back to link building. What are your thoughts as still as customers that are, are, are really working on SEO as a whole? And let's just not talk about all of the larger corporate clients. Let's talk about generalized people, people working at a company that might be in a marketing department um, that, that are actually doing something a little bit more or people that are you know work at home and they have their own projects going on. Long term for building links, is that still going to be a, a, a long term gainer of opportunity? Uh, I can't see a time in the near future when links aren't an important part. You know, how they're looked at can change somewhat. You know, if we're talking about how anchor text is weighted, can you have too much, can you not have enough, <laughs> those kind of things. Uh, but in general, you know, it's still the number one factor. Out of those 200 signals, um, how the web is connected is still the number one factor. The biggest problem now is that, you know, it's gotten more difficult. Google's definitely gone after the larger uh, public link buying networks, and so it's much harder to find inventory in those kind of places that, that works. They've also ventured out on the slippery slope of actually punishing advertisers, not just um, people side owners. Yeah. Actively for keywords, so, you know, that, that falls into that. Can you do anything to hurt your competitor? Well, Usually no, but maybe you can. Um, but long term, you know, we find still the best approach is now the most difficult where big buys are managed on a personal site-by-site negotiated basis. So it still goes back to the personal backroom type of dealings. Hey, you know what? It's, it's coming full circle. And the funny thing about that is that this industry really is uh, a lot about at the top level, it's a lot about who you know and who you trust, right? So there's a lot more, um, you know, people developing networks for the purpose of being able to buy and sell links, but not as a public entity that anybody will ever see or know, but something that's just passed along amongst acquaintances. Right? Sure. sure. Um, so I know, you know, several people that are doing that. And they're building, I mean, they're real sites. They're building out cartwars and networks of blogs and that kind of stuff. But the ultimate goal is once all these exist, then we have inventory to help push stuff. Yep. That's kind of where it's going. Um, back underground. Which is fine. I know. I, I'm cool with that. <laughs> yep. Is the public stuff is just too uh, difficult. And when you find that, and then there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's also being combined with technology. Some cool technology to go out and crawl the web and identify what's good and what's not. Uh, but it's still very time consuming. And it's just, I hate it, really. Link building is the worst part of the whole process. It really is. Um I'm, I'm, I, when I had Link Excel, that was one of the key components that we wanted to have with that. 
and um, that added a lot of automation with it. However, but there is a lot of other features that um, we, we just really couldn't come up to par with. And then also was an entire thing, like you said, of trying to make the volume happen out of a lot of lower level or, you know, spreading it across and building up that link popularity in a quicker amount of time. That's still not putting up red flags, but still getting quality, good sites and, and good inventory was always a continuous issue. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's the toughest thing. And see now, especially, we have so many more signal to determine whether, you know, the paper blog posting. Um, it's interesting if people notice when you're on a blog that the homepage will show visible page rank, but not a single page within the site does, and that's because nobody's reading the blog and none of the posts ever generate any external links pointing to them, because there's not really real readers reading it. So the signals available for Google to downgrade or, or tell a real site, you know, it's really pretty easy. Um, and so then it gets down to things like volume versus quality. Well, that depends on who you are. Your site's old, trusted, and authoritative thing. Low quality, high volume works great. Um, if you're a newer site, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, finding your space and what kind of links you need. I mean, you know, if you're a newer site, you're better off spending six months hunting for those five GC old, trusted links that you paid a lot of money for before you hire a team of Indians to go out and set up a thing in a forum in every forum on the planet, right? Or go find some nice, big, old, fat, expired domains that would be of relevance that you could um, pull a lot of all those backlinks over for us. Oh, well. and there's another topic that they were not totally honest about it, about resetting domains. They're not very really good at it. Sometimes it is, sometimes they don't. You mean as far as what Google's come out and openly said? Yeah, I mean, Google came out at one point, you know, expired domain thing was huge. And they came out and said, okay, when a domain expires, we're resetting all the backlinks. We're wiping it clean. So you can have a domain, but it's like starting from scratch. Well, they do do that, but it's just not, either the system really sucks or it's a manual thing, you know, but there's still opportunity there. There's lots of opportunity there. There's a ton of opportunity. And that's a whole other entire show. <laughs> yeah, in, in buying old sites. I mean, we do more. We do, for me, is going out and acquiring old sites um, that matches what I want to do and, and work with that. So I, I tell your users, you know, if you're looking at spend a lot of time looking at sites that rank between 50 and 100. Because that's where you find the, the guy that's had the site since 98, but he's never really made a ton of money, and he might be motivated to sell that demand and put a little work into it, uh, it could turn into a gold mine. You're saying in the search results of pages 50 to 100? Right. You know, we, I, I used to... Uh, I've never even really gone that far. I've only hunted into the 15 to 20 to 30. Well, to give, you know, to give you an example, and this gets into the whole kind of trust and authority thing, but... I spent a lot of time working in the online gambling space for a very large uh, gaming company. Yeah, I think people uh, have heard a thing or two about that B-word. Yes, yes, you know them. <laughs> anyway, during that time, um, especially when the government cracked down on, on the affiliate stuff, you know, saying that you can't do it if you're legal in the U.S., um, there's a lot of opportunity with affiliate sites, and these are people that, that jump in and... and think they're going to make a lot of money, and they put up a brand new domain, and they go out and get a ton of links with great anchor text, and then they don't really rank well. And they, they do that for a couple of years, and then they get tired, and come along and say, well, if you're a site that is older and more established, those links will help you. Absolutely. So you can come in and say, hey, I'll give you X amount for your site, and the guy's burnt out and tired, and, and now he's motivated because he doesn't want to go to jail or whatever. 
do those kind of things. You can buy that site for a reasonable amount of money, and then and then free on it and, and get the value of those links. Um, and those are all valid, very good links that you do want, and that's just and definitely that's what you're looking for, and those kind of things. So um, those kind of opportunities are, you know, they take a lot more effort, and, and they're not just laying around in front of you. You got to kind of seek them out, but um, you can. Find a lot of great stuff. Yeah, you definitely getting into this business and, and really getting into this as you have, you definitely have to break the surface and go deep and really explore the depths of a lot of different things that are out there, different strategies and tactics to back those up. Um, you know, speaking of the online gambling business, um, what are your thoughts since the new legislation that came up in the beginning of December last year? Um, refresh my memory. Well, well, now no, no merchant processing can happen in the United States for offshores. Oh, yeah, so that was tied into the whole... Uh... Yeah, so a lot of the affiliates, which some of our friends, um, different affiliates that were doing very, very well, at least making cuts on the rake, um, a lot of those people pretty much completely lost out. Yeah, that, that is the toughest thing was um, there's certainly plenty of gambling companies that are willing to defy the U.S. and continue to serve. There's tons of gambling companies, and you know people too, that would be willing to pay a 10% uh, tax uh, I, you know, I had a you know, time, you know, um, I, when I used to work for Bodog and Calvin Harris, they always told me, um, I pay taxes in a heartbeat. I mean, just show me where to bring the money. Yeah. Show up on the steps with bucket loads full of cash. They want to be raising, you know, they would love that. Um, unfortunately, you know, we got that bill attached to a port authority thing, and that's a whole other discussion, but how that even happened. But, um, you know, that would be the easiest thing that could take place. But now with the, you know, they're putting the hammer on the processors, right? So that's the most difficult thing. Not that they can't serve the U.S. and have players, but uh, people can't easily transact and get their money in and out. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's but they put the hammer on them. And, and, I, and I read recently, too, that uh, they, they went after actually a processor in New York, and they've in, in, in really hit them with some very, very stiff uh, fines in their judgments. So they're really looking to make example of, of some different ones to get everybody else to go against it. So um, anybody pointing back at what uh, Greg was just talking about, about purchasing older domains or domains that have been a little bit established, but then people got burnt out or tired out, or they got hit with this new legislation and they're not making any more money on their affiliate links, and uh, they really can't do too much. Uh, a lot of our out-of-United States uh, listeners, this is a great opportunity for you to jump in and actually try to work with some of those people or acquire those types of sites. Yeah. Um just be careful and pay attention to where those sites are actually hosted. Yes, yes, there is more than meets the eye in all of this. Google has, you know, gone full circuit. They keep changing how they rate that stuff, and they're back to looking at the links, where the links come from. Yeah. Uh, they used to not do that. So. Absolutely. Buy some sites, and you think they're .com, but they're all in Canada, and now you only show up in Canada. Yep. What? There's many, many components to optimization and just doing marketing in general. And uh, speaking with us, and we're going to let him go in and get his weekend started, Greg Bozer, Three Dog Media speaker, long-term, long-life SEO and internet guru. Greg, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out and sharing your knowledge with us. And I look to uh, meet up with you uh, at one of these up-and-coming shows, if not an SMX, then definitely over at PubCon. Absolutely. Thanks. It's been great. All right. Thanks a lot, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.